Acts chapter 2 verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. In verse 39, the apostle Peter spoke about you, your children, all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want to speak to you about the posterity of Pentecost. You may be seated. The word posterity is an unusual word. The Lord prompted it to my mind. But it means the offspring of a specific person to the furthest generation. Posterity is not one, two, three, or four generations down the line. But it refers to all future generations. I thought it was interesting that even in the normal dictionary, not a Bible dictionary, it said that God offered Abraham a posterity like the stars of the heaven. He offered him a future generation after generation of people that would be his descendants. So let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was the patriarch pioneer of all people of faith. And God first gave promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. After Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son on the altar, of course God intervened. There was a ram caught in the thicket and God himself shall provide a sacrifice, or God shall provide himself a sacrifice, a prophetic word. After that, in Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of thine enemy. That's a pretty powerful statement about the descendants of Abraham. And thy seed and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. The promise to Abraham was for his posterity to be so great in number that it would be as hard to count his descendants as it would be to count the stars in the sky or the sand that is on the seashore. Now the Jewish people would call Abraham their father by natural birth. But the Bible is clear that the people who were born again, according to Acts 2.38 are Abraham's posterity by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.27 For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be 
Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The New Testament ties every person who has obeyed Acts 2.38. Every New Testament believer ties them back to the promise of Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, that all the promises that were on Abraham and greater promises have come on the New Testament church. Amen. In the Old Testament, you would be correct in saying that the Old Testament saints were the posterity of Abraham based on the promises that God made to him. But we have a new point of origin in the day of Pentecost. In the brilliant biblical sermon preached on the day of Pentecost by a former fisherman, not a former theologian, Simon Peter, the parameters for the Pentecostal experience were set. According to the Bible, who is the posterity of Pentecost according to the promise that was preached at Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2, verse 39 we learn that the promise is unto you. Now, who was the you of Acts 2.39? They were the people standing there in Acts chapter 2 who had gathered after the tongue-talking of about 120 people was noised abroad and Jews out of every nation under heaven 18 or so people or language groups listed have come and gathered and there are thousands of them. That same day, 3,000 are added to the church. So we know the multitude came together. They're confounded. They ask, what meaneth this? And Peter preaches to them and he tells them that the blood of Jesus Christ is on their hands. He tells them that they are the people who are responsible from a legal point of view for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They are the people who in Matthew 27, 25 said, let his blood be on us and on our children. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. In Acts 2, 23, on the screens, Peter said him. This is that masterful sermon, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Peter just throws in there, by the way, you were responsible for this, but you just did what God had planned from the beginning, because he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And again, the Apostle Peter indicts them in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this, that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. These are the Jewish people who accepted responsibility for the charges that Peter leveled against them. In Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they said they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted by these words of the sermon of the Apostle Peter. 
when he accused them of being guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ, they were convicted by their conscience and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They didn't deny it. They didn't try to pass it on to anyone else. They accepted this responsibility. And to these people who with great cruelty consented to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they were convicted by their conscience. And the first people that were uh, inside of that promise of Pentecost were the ones who were guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now this is powerful to me, so that no matter what you have done, no matter how guilty of sin you may be, The promise is unto you. Amen. If anybody should have been outside of the promise of Pentecost, it should have been the you who were standing there guilty for the blood of Jesus Christ. But Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you. Amen. It is unto you first generation Jews, amen, who admit that it is your fault that your Messiah was crucified. Now they were multi-generational sinners. Stephen would say in Acts chapter 7, which of your fathers have not persecuted the prophets? And you've been the the one that have been the rejectors of God's messengers for generations. But these multi-generational sinners become first-generation saints and Christians. Because the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at their hands redeemed them from the sin that they were guilty of. Amen. So I want to just tell you tonight that to you of first generation sinners that the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of Pentecost can redeem you no matter what you've done, where you've been, how guilty you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how many generations have been child abusers, drug abusers. It doesn't matter how many generations of people have rejected God. If you will say yes to Jesus Christ, Christ, amen, the promise is unto you. We ought to thank God for that, amen. The promise is unto you. In the New Living Translation of 1 Corinthians 6, 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Like the King James, it says, such were some of you. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus in baptism and by the Spirit of our God. You see, it doesn't matter how deep your sin may be. The promise of Pentecost is that if you will believe the gospel, that you can be saved. The promise is unto you. 
Amen. So the promise, the posterity of Pentecost referred to those who were standing there hearing the, pre- the preaching of the Apostle Peter on that day. These were Jewish people who would soon become Christians. And I want to make sure you understand what these people had done and how much they had been forgiven. Because if Jesus died for them, He certainly died for you. But the posterity of Pentecost did not end with those first generation believers. For the promise is unto you and to your children. Amen. Acts chapter 2 verse 39. It is to your children. Now remember that in Matthew 27, 25, they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. So I believe it is significant that the apostle Peter would say, by the way, we've got your children covered because the same blood that you shed that is forgiven you also will cover your children that you have thrown under the bus of the curse of the crucifixion of Jesus. Amen. This promise is to your children. Amen. Children who would watch their parents live hypocritical lives. Parents, children rather, who saw their parents omit the weightier matters of the law. The children of these Jews would have the door of salvation swung wide open to them. They had the opportunity to be saved just as their parents had. I began my ministry as a youth pastor. And I've watched numbers of teenagers struggle with the inconsistencies in the lives of their parents. I've seen the faith of fathers falter and fail In the next generation, I've watched preacher's kids and saint's kids and missionary's kids struggle. Kids that were raised in the church who did not stay in the truth. But the promise of Pentecost is to you and to your children. Don't give up on your children. Amen. Because the same power that worked in the first generation will work in the second and the third and the fourth generation. They can be transformed by the power of Pentecost. I've quoted it a lot lately. But His truth endureth to all generations. Amen. This powerful blood of Jesus Christ, this Acts 2.38 message is a promise to you And to your children. If the kids of that first Pentecost crowd can be saved. After everything that their parents do. And everything they had watched their parents omit. How much hope is there for our children. Who are being raised in homes. That stand up for and support the truth. How much can we expect our children to be saved when we are training them in the way that they should go? I want to assure you that this promise is to your children that they are included in the posterity of Pentecost. They are future generations and this promise extends 
to them. Talking about our crowd members, our young people that are back there in their service now. And our crossover children that are in their own service now. Our chips and the kids that we are raising. If you will continue to serve God. And if you will continue to stand for truth. If you will continue to do your very best. In spite of a blip on the screen. And a lack and uh, some failure here or there. This message can still reach to them and save them. Because this promise is to your children. But it doesn't stop there. But the promise, Acts 2.39, is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The prevailing thought on who this refers to is the Gentile people. I do not believe that this phrase refers to Jewish Christians who lived in far countries. For on that day, Jewish, soon to be Christians, Jewish people from countries all over the world heard this message and they were inside of that promise. But people who were afar off refers to people outside of the Old Testament, what they would call the law. But they were part of the Abrahamic covenant because it predated the law. Abraham was of promise, not of the law. Paul called the Gentiles those that were far off. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In other words, he said, the Jews have called you all uncircumcised. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's what you were before. Everybody say before. But now, Paul said, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off, you Gentile believers. He's trying to encourage them in their faith. He's trying to assure them that you are not second class citizens. Before, sometimes you were far off, but you are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has brought you into the proximity of this promise and you are, the, you are part of the posterity of the blood of Jesus Christ. In that same chapter, Ephesians 2, 17. Speaking of how the blood of Jesus Christ tore down the middle wall of partition and brought Jewish believers and Gentile believers together. Paul said, and he came and preached Peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh, Gentiles and Jews. Amen. So I want you to understand that when the Bible says to them that are afar off, there is a promise to every Gentile on planet earth then and now. Amen. Now most of us happen to be Gentile believers. Amen. 
when Jesus came, He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He sent the twelve in Matthew 10 and 5. And He told them, don't go to the Gentiles. I want you only to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. To the woman of Canaan in Matthew 15, Jesus said, I am come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's my mission. John would say he came to his own, and his own received him not. It is obvious that the first wave of conversions in the early church were among Jewish Christians. Amen. It is not until Acts chapter 10 that the door of the Gentiles is opened. And one of the biggest challenges that God faced was with his own people and their own stubborn mentality that God's posterity or the posterity of Pentecost was limited to Jewish people. So Acts chapter 10. There's a man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile Italian soldier, a captain over a hundred men. But he loves and worships Jehovah. He is a God-fearer, probably not a full proselyte. He prays always. He gives much alms. He has a supernatural experience with a vision. And in a vision, the Lord tells him to send for a man named Peter, who is down at Joppa, who is lodged at the house of one Simon a tanner. And he's going to tell you what you ought to do. By the way, a vision and an angel did not tell Cornelius how to be saved. Because God has entrusted people with the gospel. If you think you're going to just pray and God's going to preach Acts 2.38 to your friends and family, it's not going to happen. He may tell them to ask you or ask somebody who's willing to tell them, but he has placed the gospel in the hands of red-blooded human beings. Amen. It's in our hands. Go down and ask Peter what to do. Well, there's a problem. Because Peter thinks that, you know, just for Jewish people. Now, he's a guy that I'm quoting and to them that are afar off. But in Acts chapter 10, he's down there in Joppa. He's a praying man. About noon, he goes up on the house to pray. He got really hungry. It was noon. They were fixing food down below. In the south, we fix food. We don't prepare meals. We fix food. <clears throat> And he falls into a trance. By the way, somebody tells you they had a, saw a vision, had a dream. Think it not strange. This happens in the Bible all the time. Just make sure that you hold the Bible above dreams, and visions, and the gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> Amen? So anyway... There's a sheet that comes down, and it's got all kind of stuff in it. Remember, four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air. There's stuff that no God-fearing Jewish man would eat. Makes me think that there had to be some spare ribs in the sheet let down. 
but they had to be alive. So, And the voice comes to him and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's a vision. Not so, Lord. He's pretty proud of this. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, that call thou, not thou uncommon, or common rather. Well, it was done three times. Peter's doubting in himself what this vision that he's seen would mean. And about that time, the men that Cornelius had sent are standing at the door of Simon the Tanner's house. And they are asking if there happens to be a guy named Simon there, whose surname was Peter. And while Peter is thinking on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, there's so many awesome things in this story, and I have a lot to say tonight. I'll try to, you know, go kind of quickly. But you've got Peter, you've got Cornelius praying, and Peter praying. And Cornelius is a Gentile, and Peter is a Jew, and you've got all kinds of things happening. But isn't it amazing that God is working on both ends of the line? He's working on both sides of the equation. So he goes downstairs, and he asks him, why have you come? And they explain what happened to Cornelius. He's been warned of God by a holy angel, and he told us to come here. And the timing is perfect. Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Six Jews that had come along for the ride. Now the story is amazing. And they get to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is so pumped about this. He's so excited. By the way, here's a pretty wealthy, pretty powerful guy who cannot wait to hear a word of salvation. And it gets his wife and kids, his kinsmen, his near friends. He's got them all gathered together waiting for the Pentecostal preacher to show up. Peter walks in, Cornelius bows down to him. And Peter says, hey, wait, hang on a second. Don't worship me, I'm a man like you. And then Peter said, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> it's unlawful for me man who's a Jew, to keep company or even to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, this is not in your Bible, but you can just kind of understand this. Inside, you know, it's like that caption that you can't, he didn't really say, but he thought, but I'm struggling with this. Now, we're a Gentile church primarily, but sometimes God opens a door that we struggle with. Can they really be saved? Are they sincere? Will God save that kind? Well, he said, you know, why have you sent for me? Cornelius tells a story. Four days ago, I was fasting. Up into this hour, in the ninth hour, I prayed and saw a man that stood before me in bright clothing. And while I'm praying, he told me to send for Joppa to, you know, a guy named Simon, surname Peter. Look how specific this was. He's lodged in the house of one named Simon, the tanner, by the seaside. They know exactly where, kind of how to get to the house. And immediately I sent for you, and you've done well that you've come. 
Now, therefore, we are all here. Present before God. To hear the all things that are commanded thee of God. We cannot wait to hear what you've got to say. What an audience. Do you believe that God's got people like that? That are praying somewhere and saying, God, show me how to be saved. Your sincerity, remember I preached this Sunday, mainly in the second service a little more. Your sincerity alone does not save you, but your sincerity will send you a message of salvation. Your sincerity will get the attention of God. God says, Cornelius, your your alms and your prayers have come up for a memorial before me. All that your, your love for me has gotten my attention. Amen. Those people have a promise that can bring them in to be part of the generations of Christianity, the posterity of Pentecost. So Peter says, he opens his mouth and says, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. I think God is saying, it's about time. That you figured out what you preached. In Acts 2, all that are afar off, Peter said, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. From Acts 10, 36 to Acts 43, we have somewhat of a record of his sermon. And then, while Peter yet spake these words, before he said, if the musicians would come and play softly. Before he gestured for the minister of music to come to the keyboard. Before he told his closing illustration. Or whatever. While Peter yet spake these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And Cornelius and everybody in the house was talking in tongues. And the six Jewish Christians that came with Peter were astonished. as Because it on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is unthinkable. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Anybody says, well... Show me in the Bible where it says you have to speak in tongues. Why do you have to have a have to? Why don't you have the example over and over and over. The universal sign of receiving the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. And these six Jews that came with Peter, who were believers and doubters at the same time, right? They believed because they were Holy Ghost filled, but they doubted it was for everybody. They were amazed But the telltale sign that these Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost was that they were talking in a language they had never learned. And it persuaded the doubting believers. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They said, tarry certain days. They were astonished that the Gentiles, those who were afar off, could be filled with the baptism of of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 11, Peter refers back to this, 11:15, and he tells, he's kind of explaining why he baptized them, why he went to be there. And as I began to speak the Holy Ghost, 
fell on them as on, as on us at the beginning. It happened to them just like it did in the upper room or in Acts 2, wherever it was. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost like they did in Acts 2 and like they did in Acts 10. Peter said, what was I that I could withstand God? I couldn't help it. I had to baptize him. Don't blame me. Blame God. He told me to not call what he had cleansed common or unclean. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God. Saying, oh, praise God, unto the Gentiles is granted repentance unto life. Finally, about Acts 10, the light is breaking through that Peter preached in Acts 2, 39, that the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. But we're not through with this controversy. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas come back from a great missionary trip. Jews and Gentiles are receiving the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. But, 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 there are some of the sect of the Pharisees, they're kind of referred to as Judaizers, Acts 15, 5, that it was needful to circumcise them. We're going to say, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, with the mission of sins, and be circumcised. You can receive the Holy Ghost, and we'll let you in the church. And to, to keep the law of Moses. And the elders and leaders came together for to consider this matter. We've got a real serious problem on our hands. We've got to decide how wide is the door to the church. Who can come in? Peter rose up and said, you know, God used me to bring the Gentiles in. That by my mouth they should hear the gospel and believe. And he bare them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Acts 15, 9, it's not on the screens, but it's a powerful verse. Peter said, and put no difference between us and them. Can you imagine the shock waves that sends through these holier-than-thou Jewish Christians? The believing unbelievers? Purifying their hearts by faith, not by circumcision, not by adherence to the ceremonial law, but by faith. And the faith was demonstrated by their obedience to Acts 2.38. In case we say faith alone, faith always shows up in works and obedience. Always. Otherwise it is not faith. Anyway, Peter says that. Now he said, why are you going to tempt God to put, on these, put the, a yoke around their neck that your fathers couldn't even bear? And now you're going to get these Gentiles that don't have 4,000 years of the law and history to try to live by that too. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. I love the way Peter reverses it. He said the same plan of salvation that has reached these Gentiles is what's going to save us. Not circumcision and not the OT law. Old Testament law. Well, now Paul and Barnabas... They now step to the floor. This is like a general conference debate, you know, among ministers. 
And they declared what miracles and wonders God wrought among the Gentiles by them. And then James, half-brother of Jesus, who's the obvious leader of the New Testament church at this point, he stands up and he says, all right, hang on, hang on, everybody. Simon has told us what God did by him. And to these agree the words of the prophet about the tabernacle of David that is falling down, that the residue of men might seek the Lord. Whoever calls on him, James is finding common ground. He's trying to keep this church together. And he calls for adherence to certain standards that are listed in Acts chapter 15, that they, these Gentile believers, at a minimum from the beginning, would abstain from the pollutions of idols, fornication, things strangled, and blood. Because he said, we've got Moses. He is being taught in every city by these Jewish Christians. And he's trying to keep the church together. But he now, now in Acts 15, we're finally getting it in our hearts that those that are afar off can still be brought near to the gospel. Amen. So I just want to say by application, the interpretation of this is, in other words, what this is saying is that afar off is Gentiles. But for those of us who are Gentiles, we need to have the same open heart to whoever God will send us or whoever He will send us to. Amen. All that are afar off. Amen. Praise God. Well, I've got more that I'm kind of skim through that, man, in Romans they had to deal with the the. Judaizers and tell them that if you're the people of faith you're Abraham's children and that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness in Romans chapter 4 and that you're you know you follow the steps of faith of our father Abraham that he followed before he was circumcised and if you're going to be justified by the works of the law makes promise of none effect and he lays this down in Romans 4 He brings it back in Galatians chapter 2 that if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He asked him, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And on and on the New Testament goes dealing with these issues that had to be addressed all over the world by people that had their narrow minds to who could be saved. So God help us open ours. But this promise is to you No matter what you've done, who you are, blood of Jesus kind of dripping off your hands, freshly crucified about 50 days ago. It's to your children. It's to them that are afar off. And even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's almost like the Lord wanted you to know, just in case, You don't think I've covered everybody in you and your children and the Gentiles that are afar off. That this promise of Pentecost and the posterity of Pentecost, future generations of Pentecost, are even as many, Acts 2.39, as the Lord our God shall call. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The Apostle Peter's quoting two Old Testament verses, Isaiah 57, 19. Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near. The two extremes of the gospel, the Jews and the Gentiles. He's quoting from Joel 2, 32, that whosoever 
calleth on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And at the end of that, in the Mount of Zion, it's whom the Lord shall call. The Lord is calling, and you're calling on the name of the Lord. I just love the fact that the promise of Pentecost and that the posterity of Pentecost extends to anybody who wants to be part of the family of God. If God is calling on them and they are calling on the Lord, they can be saved. This promise transcends time and place. It speaks of the church that will extend until Romans 11.25 would be fulfilled that the fullness of the Gentiles come in. I don't know when that last Gentile is going to repent of their sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, Maybe it's going to be old Uncle Will who's been a chronic seeker for 20 years and finally gets the Holy Ghost at the age of 95. Or maybe it's going to be the biggest, baddest drug dealer in town who walks in the back door for the first time and hears that this is to them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Burly guy comes down falls on his knees, shakes under the mighty power of God, repents of his sins, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And maybe when he comes out of the water, speaking in other tongues, the trump of God sounds, and the dead in Christ rise first. Then we that are alive and remain are caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Maybe that's going to be the very last Gentile, the fullness of of the Gentiles come in. But as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. F.F. Bruce wrote about this church. He said the new believing community was in fact the faithful remnant of the old Israel. And at the same time, the nucleus of the new Israel, the Christian church. Amen. You know, sometimes... Satan, the accuser of the brethren and sisters too, tries to make you feel like you're not really connected to this body of believers. He's an alienator. He's a separator. He's a good predator that always tries to cut off a wounded, weak person from the flock. Amen. So a person is more vulnerable. I want you to understand tonight that whoever you are, however unworthy you may feel that you are, that you're a part of the promise that was made to Abraham that my descendants, my posterity will be like the stars of the heaven, like the sands of the seashore for multitude. You're part of the body of Christ. As many as the Lord our God shall call. That makes sense. There were 7 billion people in the world for whom Christ died that Jesus Christ has not quit calling as many as the Lord our God shall call. Don't you believe there's some Cornelius type people out there who are praying, fasting, giving alms, doing everything they know to do, somehow in the inside of them saying, surely there is more. 
There's some Apollos type people out there who are walking in all the light they know, but in sincerity, God is leading them to an Aquila and a Priscilla to tell them more. They're like the disciples of John the Baptist in Acts chapter 19. We're just waiting, amen, for somebody to tell them how to be saved. It is to you and your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now it's hard to wrap your brain around how big the church around the world is. In order to get a good picture of the church in the earth today, you've got to go to the church in heaven to kind of really see them. Because it's not just the four beasts and the 24 elders or the 144,000 that are sealed. But in Revelation chapter 9, excuse me, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John in this vision says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. Let's analyze this congregation. First of all, there's so many people that you cannot count like the stars of the heaven or the sands of the seashore. These are you and your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And I believe that this multitude includes all the saints of all the ages, all the people of faith. Amen. They're from all nations. They're from all kindreds. They're from all people groups. They're of every language. That's why. That's why we give to missions. That's why we send missionaries around the world. Because we believe what Romans 1, 2, and 3 says. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God is not accepting their idol worship. He is not accepting them because they worship the sun, the moon, the stars. And they're sincere in it. He's reaching for them. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why he said that repentance or remission of sins will be preached in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. But these people, they're clothed in white robes, which means their righteousness. They're not a dirty church, backslidden church, carnal church. They're not a superficial church. They're not nominal Christians, which means in name only. They are holiness, loving, righteous people. And they've got palms in their hands, which is symbolic of triumph and victory. They are holy and they are victorious. And they're standing before the throne of God, amen, saved on the other side of everything that unfolds between now and them. And they are the posterity of Pentecost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You, the first generation. 
your children the second generation. We don't just save our family though and say, us four and no more. We don't just say in Atlanta West that if I could just get my family saved, that would be good enough for me. Because the promise of Pentecost is a lot bigger than that. And the posterity of Pentecost, the future generations, all the way till the last generation that Jesus spoke about that there would be a last generation. They are the posterity of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, the sermon doesn't end at 2.38 or 2.39. The Bible said in verse 40 on the screens with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Because the promise of Pentecost and being a part of the posterity of Pentecost isn't automatic. You've got to make up your mind to save yourself from this untoward generation. All of the you standing out there with blood on your hands, you can be saved, but you've got to save yourself from this crooked or perverse generation. You've got to obey what I just said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You've got to make up your mind. Now you're not going to be a part of a generation that's in rebellion against God and His Holy Word. You've got to save yourself from this untoward generation. That first generation was in a, a generation of ungodly, godly people. You know, they were godly superficially, but ungodly in their heart. And they had to, they had to come out from among them and be separate. Their children, they had to save themselves from that generation. All that are far off, they had to make a decision to walk away from their sordid past, from pagan idol worship, from all the immorality that they were involved in, all those Gentile peoples, they weren't just saved because there was a promise. They were saved because they saved themselves from this untoward generation to become the posterity of Pentecost. But there's an intriguing thing. Peter didn't have to do this, but all the worship team can come. Since nobody's receiving the whole test right this minute, I'll go ahead and finish. Isaiah 53 spoke of Jesus Christ. He was taken from prison and judgment. And he shall declare his generation. He was cut off from out of the land of the living. He was about 33 years old. He was crucified. He died. Never got married. Never had children. So there was nobody to brag on their daddy and say, oh, that was my father. So the question is asked, who shall declare his generation, who's his posterity? Because he's without child. But the promise of Pentecost tells us that, oh, he's got posterity. It's rooted in the promise of Abraham. It's extended to the New Testament church. And everybody that's been born of water and of spirit that can say, Abba, Father, that has been brought into the family of God. Oh yeah, we're going to declare His generation. It seems very interesting to me, kind of intriguing to me, that the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he is, he is a high-ranking official under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's in charge of her treasury. But somebody, maybe a Jew of the dispersion, has witnessed to him. 
And so now he's a God-fearer, maybe a full proselyte. He gets in his chariot, he rides all the way to Jerusalem, which is a long, 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 long way. And while he is there, he worships God. He doesn't run into a Pentecostal. And he gets in his chariot and he's riding back home. Peter, excuse me, Philip is in a red-hot revival in Samaria. And the Lord says, hang on, I've got a special assignment for you. I need you to go down to this desert place. I need you to go down there. And I want you to join yourself to this man. So Peter, I guess, I mean, excuse me, keep saying Peter. Philip runs alongside. And he hears this Ethiopian man reading, evidently the Greek Septuagint of Isaiah 53. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man guide me? He invites him up in the chariot. And the place in the scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is dumb before a shearer, so he openeth not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth, taken from the earth. Who's going to declare his generation? And this Ethiopian eunuch, who is going back to his country, is not a believer in Jesus. He doesn't even know about that. He doesn't even know who Isaiah is writing about. And Philip explains it. And he is baptized in water as he's going back down the road. And so when he returns to Ethiopia, and I looked it up, it's something like a 64-hour drive if you drive 60 kilometers an hour. It would take you 320 hours to walk it. So I don't know how fast his chariot was going, but this guy went a long way to Jerusalem. He was going a long way home, but he now is the one who will declare the generation of Jesus Christ to the Ethiopians. He's part of our posterity of Pentecost. Amen. So I just want to tell you that you're living under an incredible promise. And you're a part of something very special. And God has given us a unique opportunity to make a difference. For the message of Pentecost is a far-reaching message. It knows no bounds. Amen. Would you stand right now? Because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of declaring His generation. We have the privilege of being a part of the posterity, amen, of Pentecost, of every generation till the very, very last. And in this season of tying a new knot in an old net, of strengthening our hand in God, we are affirming our faith. So we need to make up our minds as a church that we're not going to be a part of an untoward generation. We're not going to be a part of a perverse, crooked generation. We're going to be a part of the generation of the people of God who belong all the way back to the promises made to Abraham. We're part of the people that are the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seashore for multitude. Amen. As many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I'm going to be a spoiler tonight because in the past week of Atlanta West, there have been 13 people that have joined up with this generation of Pentecost. Maya Wright baptized on Tuesday. David Wright baptized on Sunday. 
Dorcas and Kanoa on Sunday, and Aubrey Gilbert, and Edith Gilbert, and Lance Gilmore, Michael Gilmore, Kyrie Hamilton, Louise Jonkers, Trenda McKendis, Amanda Morgan, Fluvia Nagata, Tyler Shula, just in the last week, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. Every time I preach, every time we give an altar call on Wednesday night, on Sunday, and all through the week, the Bible said the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. It doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen here. It doesn't have to happen during service times. Amen? Amen. Well, the promise is to you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And I can't wait to see who God adds next to a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Amen? A holy nation. Would you gather at the altar? And I want us to just come celebrate our salvation. But I would like for you to make a commitment to the Lord that, Lord, I am going to save myself from this untoward generation. And I'm committed to being a part of the posterity of Pentecost and seeing me and my children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Let's sing.